As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Oh, guten Tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Was heißt der? Hello? Oh, brutal. Okay. And also joined by the big bull. It's JJ Bull. Hello. Is Seb actually Hello. gone? No, no, I'm still here, but we, we <laughs> like our being... awkward silences. Oh, I'm so confused. I was like, oh, no. He's just, he's just playing the, the, the comedic note just a little too long there. But that's fine. <laughs> he's learning. No big deal. Uh, we're here today to talk about European football. Uh, quick note, we record this on a Thursday, and uh, this releases on a Friday. So we don't actually know who's uh, gone into the, uh, the Europa League final. But, <laughs> cool, what about that uh, Roma turnaround, JJ, hey? Oh, when Francesco Totti came in as a substitute through the roof, like Batman in Batman Returns, I was surprised, but it made for excellent te- television. So surprised but delighted. Yeah, we've no idea what happened, uh, so uh, can't talk about that, but I um, hope you've enjoyed watching those games. If you did, what we did talk about was the Manchester Cities, the PSGs, and we talked about the Chelsea's and the Real Madrid's. Uh, and it was very exciting. We've got a Champions League final, all English, an all English Champions League final. What you know? There you go. That's a thing. So we talked about that, and um, it was uh, it was it was good fun, wasn't it, Seb? What did we talk, what did we talk about, Seb? What what came up in today's episode? Keep them tantalised. Well, we did quite a lot about Real Madrid and Chelsea and Manchester City PSG. We spent some time talking about PSG's massive tantrum whether Kylian Mbappe mm. might have helped them avoid that massive tantrum. Talked about what it meant mm-hmm. to Pep Guardiola. We all made ice cream noises over Phil Foden. <laughs> that will be explained later in the podcast, yeah. Um, and then you rather rudely cut me off ahead of... A oh, I, I forgot to say something as well. I forgot to say that I, uh, I watched a bit of the game... Uh, last night, the Chelsea game, on the BT Sport Manager mode. Not sponsored by BT, as far this as I'm aware. Cool. But uh, cool. it, it did look cool. It had little player names that came up above them whenever they got the ball. Actually, it was kind of distracting. I turned that bit off after after about 10 minutes. But they had a little um, little tactics board on the bottom right, and you could see where all the players' dots were in real time. 
And it was, it was pretty inventive. Kudos to whoever did that at, uh, at BT Sport. Again, I'm pretty sure we're not sponsored by them, but uh, just thought it was just thought it was fun. Uh, but of course, we are uh, owned by the Athletic, and therefore we are contractually obliged to tell you that if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you're going to have a fun time uh, with a 30-day free trial uh, to, to, to experience all of the wonders of The Athletic and the wonderful journalists that, um, that, that write for The Athletic, including names such as David Ornstein, Oliver Kay, uh, Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, JJ Bull, you name one. Uh, James McNicholas. Oh, that's a good one. Seb, name one. Rafa Honigstein. Yeah, these are all good people. James Horncastle, too. There we go. Uh, loads of people. And you can have a 30-day free trial to check it out, see if you like it. I think you will. So visit theathletic.com. <laughs> theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. There we go. All right. Well, that's uh, the intro all wrapped up uh, for today. Now here's some music. And then once that's finished, there'll be a podcast. All right. Thanks. Uh, bye. Manchester City 2, brackets 4, brackets 1-0, PSG. Uh, uh, Lovely game. Snow! There was snow. A wonderful setting in Manchester. What happened to the orange ball? We'll come to that, maybe. I forgot to look it up, so we might not come to that. Fabulous performances, of course, from uh, from Mahrez, Foden and Fernandinho, but particularly from uh, Diaz and Stones. Is this, JJ, what uh, Manchester City have been missing since a company, you know, a truly excellent... CB pairing, a la Rio and Vidic or something, to take it up a notch, because it felt like an extremely complete performance. Yeah, they've needed someone exactly like Ruben Diaz. I think you can have um, all your beautiful technicians and all your players moving around in pretty patterns, but you also need someone who's a bit mental, at the, especially at the back, who comes in and throws himself around. I think kind of typified by when he launches himself with his head at a ball for about five yards in the six-yard area, I think it was, and then celebrates times. it. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's like when you see a small child at a wedding or something, like it falls off, like the top of a, I don't know, a shelf. I don't know why it's up of a shelf. It falls off, and then everyone's like, "Whoa!" And it gets up and laughs because it's quite enjoyed the, uh, the feeling of it. That's what DS is like. But um, he's even. It seems to be quite contagious around. Like John Stones is now celebrating, making blocks and tackles, as though that's now his favorite thing to do, rather than just keep the ball. And there's a. It reminds me of. Um, there's a book that I've mentioned a few times before in different places called The Captain Class. I can't remember who's written it, which is a shame. But it's about all the greatest teams in history uh, share one thing in common, and it's not the manager or a star player or anything. It's a certain kind of character who is the captain, like a kind of water carrier, or a, not the most talented technical proficient uh, players, but someone who will like, endure any amount of pain to make sure they get a win. Like They'll do anything to get a win. <laughs> Like, <laughs> if they have to batter someone, they'll they'll do it. If they have to get battered, they'll do it. And um, Diaz is becoming a little bit like, I suppose, Man City's Carlos Puyol, who was a good example of it in the book when Guardiola was at Barcelona. So you got all these lovely players around him, but you need Puyol in there to give it that. Uh, I can't think of a word, but I'm going to say because that works for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the book written by Sam Walker, of yes. course. This one. A good book. I haven't read it.
Is it good? That's it. I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I keep talking. I've heard about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. People, people said it was real good. Uh, Seb, this felt very different, didn't it? It felt, um, you know, this year versus previous years where Manchester City have uh, exited the competition at an earlier stage. This one, it didn't feel like a, a totally ordinary Manchester City uh, win where they sort of grind down an opponent through attack and scoring more goals and all the rest of it. It felt, um, I don't know, it felt sort of more mature. It felt more mature and it felt a little bit less fatalistic. I think in previous years, mm. you know, the City have definitely had the talent to win the European Cup before, but there's always been this impending doom about their performances in the knockout stages. And there's always been this kind of sense that at some point something is going to go wrong. And increasingly in stupid ways, if you look at sort of the exits to Monaco and uh, particularly Tottenham, if you look at some of the mistakes that were made that led to goals or some of the things that happened to those teams, it's just a very, that team occupied a very strange place in European football. But this was great. This was like, you know, beyond all the kind of Gruer, Puyol, Chiellini defending, which was really impressive. um, It was, I mean, up until the last 15 minutes when a couple of City players really tried hard to rule themselves out of the final. That was weird, wasn't it? When the game kicked off and you just thought, all you have to do with this game one is not get sent off, and it's it's fine, and it's fine. You've got I'm people... so glad De Bruyne was taken off. Yeah, but you you had you had weird stuff like Zinchenko steaming into a confrontation <laughs> right from the referee, <laughs> Edison running forty yards to get involved to kind of half, you know, pull players apart from one another, but also to get involved a little bit. It was it was a bit weird. It, I don't know. Maybe one, was... though. that was because uh, when his teammate was on the floor, the one of the opponents sort of. Picked the ball up and dropped it in his face. Yeah, he you Van Persie did, didn't he? Yeah. Van Do you remember when that happened to Van Persie at Swansea and, and Ferguson yes. said, oh, we yes, could have killed him. Yeah. yeah. But the, the interesting thing about this game as well is it, it, they, they looked like a team that... Um, they looked like the experienced team at this point in the competition. They looked like they knew exactly what they needed to do to win, that they'd been here before, that they weren't phased by it at all. And that's the interesting thing about this team, you know, they haven't won the Champions League before. Many of these players haven't. Obviously, Pep Guardiola has been there before, but we've uh, you know we've talked a lot over the last few years about what happens to him during big fixtures like this. The old cliche of him potentially, you know, apparently overthinking things. This sort of didn't feel like that at all. It felt like a huge, huge step forward. Not only just because of the actual result in terms of uh, beating a big team and getting into the final, and very likely, I assume, uh, coming out of that final as, as a victor. We can talk about that later. But um, it just, it felt like a, a sort of huge, symbolically a huge step forward too. And one of the, you know, one of the central figures of that of that symbol, who's been there for a long time now and, and been there throughout the last uh, few of those steps up, was Fernandinho, who of course was, was in for Rodri uh, from the first leg on his 36th birthday. Um, outstanding performance. Was that just down to rotation, JJ? I don't think it was. I think it was very, uh, he was chosen specifically to, for what he could bring uh, to the team. Um, I mean, tactically, what City did was really impressive. And I, th- I think, uh, talking about Fernandinho, but I think you can see it typified by Mares, who, who's, you know, holding himself back and making sure the, the kind of player is very individualistic, you'd think normally, but he's completely part of the unit. And then you have uh, Fernandinho, who's in there buzzing about and winning tackles and intercepting. But the, the thing I noticed most about Fernandinho was that whenever he was committing fouls, he should probably be booked for, and then he seems to get away with somehow. Like he just sort of calmly walks off. He, he's he's nailed that little uh, post tackleness perfectly, so the referee doesn't want to book him. But whenever he would go into someone with Neymar, he would then 
quickly go over and like stroke his head or put his hand on his shoulder and be like, it's okay, don't worry. Yeah. He and, did uh, keep stroking his head, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, but maybe that's just what they do. But then I think that there's a, a certain um, thing, and I've written this in, in notes to do in your voice, where it seems to be that if uh, maybe Neymar is best when he's mad, you know, when he's furious. So Fernandinho was doing this to extinguish the flames of fury. And that... <laughs> that's a really good job. And by doing that, stroking his head, he was reducing <laughs> his anger levels each time. And that made for a, a lesser Neymar. <laughs> a, le- a lesser Neymar. Very, yeah. very nice. Very yeah. nice. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, Fernandinho, great player. And I do agree that walk off afterwards is very important, isn't it? Because you can't walk so quickly not looking at the referee with your head down sort of being submissive to the yellow card you can't do that because you're making yourself easy to card you can't be confrontational and stay there and you know uh, stare out the referee because you're asking for the yellow card it's quite a hard thing to, to to master isn't it but fernandinho in a game where many many people were yellow carded uh fernandinho who i believe you've written here in your notes made the the the, the joint most number of fouls managed to avoid it as he uh, as he always does, um, which is a rem- is a remarkable skill and something we've um, I think we've even made a video about it. Alex wrote the about City's tactical fouling a year or two ago. It's probably worth going having a quick look at online there. Uh, anyway, all of this is great, but let's not let it take away from the attack, which was also pretty ruthless in its uh, efficiency. Uh, Mares, of course, with a couple of goals. Also, a quick note on defensive Mares. He made another amazing block in his own box. I think he did two of those in the first leg as well. That's obviously not an accident. Um, but Phil Foden, who is basically messy at this point, Seb. There was a wonderful moment in commentary where, because because there are no fans in stadiums at the moment, uh, you can often hear a little bit of sound leak from one commentary position to another. And yeah. in the, the German commentary, uh, there's a moment in, I think, about the 76th, 77th minute where Phone takes the ball with one touch, roulettes forward up the pitch, and you can hear someone uh, off camera, not involved in the German commentary, like a, it sounded like a, an English commentator, just make that noise that you make when you appreciate good skill, the kind of, ah, oh, you know, that. <laughs> and it was just, it was like being in, in, in the pub, but it was just, it was, I don't want to kind of, I've seen a few people throw around comparisons and talk about, oh, he's next Gascoigne or he's English football's version of Messi. Like, he's none of those things. It's just, he's a really, really, really good player who's just brilliant to watch at the moment. He's got, he's in that place where he's evolved to a point where he can affect games at this level. And yet he doesn't, he isn't inhibited by any of the fear which sometimes grips players on that sort of stage. I don't know whether that's a, you know, empty stadium thing or, you know, it's unique to Phil Foden. I don't know. But at the moment, he's just he's hit a sweet spot of form where everything he does is just a joy. It just looks yeah. brilliant, absolutely. It's brilliant. amazing, isn't it? Um, yeah. Incidentally, that noise is the noise I make when I dig into the ice cream. You know what I'm saying? It's that. It's the same kind of joy, isn't it? It really is. It's uh, a universal uh, noise, though. I think it kind of it, it cuts it through is. the cultures. Like everybody knows what that noise means. It's the dribbling noise. It's the one that yeah. Randy from South Park always makes. Oh, you know. That sort of, uh, <laughs> that sort of <laughs> delicious, delicious noise. JJ, you think Phil Foden's one of the best young players you have ever seen? Yes, I really do. But I thought it for um, a little while. There's a few players who I think are properly next level. I thought the same of Mbappe when I saw him. 
I thought the same with Haaland when I saw him. I think Wesley Fofana at Leicester is like next level. Mm-hmm. And um, Foden is, uh, I, I just love watching him. The thing that I think is best, I mean, you can sort of rely on his first touch as though he's a video game player. You know, it's never going to go anywhere else other than where he wants. Um, but it's the decision making. It's always the right thing. And everything's weighted perfectly. Like even his his assist from Aaron's at that post when he makes the one-two with De Bruyne to, to break away, he's so quick. Like everything about him is just exactly one of a player. He's quick, he's dynamic. Um, he can do these little tricks that you like which produce the ice cream noise. And then he picks the right <laughs> weight of pass to make sure that the, like the, the final action is always the right one. And it, he reminds me a little bit of the way he sort of floats through games sometimes like Zidane. Like it's very, uh, it, it looks pretty, it looks nice, but there's actual yeah. uh, cause and effect to all of it. It's not there for, it doesn't do a roulette for pointlessness. Like he does it because it's how he wins the little half yard of space to then take the defender on. And without having done that, he wouldn't be able to do it. He's 20 years old. Oh. Do you remember um, how in in early video games, like 16-bit stuff, like when you, when you were, when you passed a, the ball to a player, the, the ball became kind of part of the graphic. Like yeah, it just became yeah. like, you know, part it didn't of bounce foot. up at all. It yeah. didn't bounce up at all. It just became part of like a second head or something. And that's and what when it's you like. turned left, you turned left all at once. And there was no exactly kind that. Of it, but it's, it, that's run. like watching watching Foden's first touch. There's no separation. It just becomes part yeah. of him and he moves on. It's it's really rare to see that. Yeah. I mean, tactically, he's extremely useful as well, JJ, right? Because he, he seems like he can play in a number of different positions. I'd like to talk about him as it relates to England a little, a little bit later, but for Guardiola, it must be a treat to have somebody who could do, you know, three or four different things. Oh, absolutely. And especially within a system where you want so much rotation of position. So positions, I should say. So, I mean, he's so quick. So you play him, you think because he's left-footed, you want to have him on the right where he can come off onto his left foot and there, you know, play the final pass or or take a shot, something like that. But he seems to be most useful out on the left where he then also mm. drifts inside or can go outside and that unpredictability helps him because then defenders don't know which way to show him. It doesn't really matter because he can take you on either side. Also, I mean, he might end up as a, one of those free eights in the midfield yeah. when he gets slightly older, but that just might need a little bit more experience. There was something that Pep Guardiola talked about but a lot of him as a... In terms of decision making, was he needs to learn when to take a pause, like when to slow things down, maybe, yeah. and um, that'll be something I'd imagine that Guardiola will be quite good at teaching him to do, and that will be when he ends up in that that free eight or something like that in the middle. We can play ten. I wonder what you'll do with England, but we'll talk about later, I suppose. So I won't go into that right now. Oh. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is a, this is a big deal for, uh, for Pep Guardiola, speaking of as well, who, uh, you know, despite lots of domestic success, hasn't been back to the Champions League since, since it, well, the final, sorry, since he won it with Barcelona in 2012. It's 10 years, which is strange because he's been the biggest coach in the world for, for 10 years. Um, but this will be this be a huge moment for him, won't it, Seb? Of course, because he's also suffered quite a few bad moments. I mean, we've talked about mm. a couple of the ones that he's experienced with City, but also some of those Bayern Munich defeats weren't great, if you think about it. Um, the one to Real Madrid sticks in my mind. Um, yeah. When they got battered at the Alliance Arena, um, I think it's sort of, to me, it's it's like 
it's part of that story arc that a lot of great managers have in that you you have a great burst of early success you have something um that you have not controversy or, or or not adversity but just something which kind of makes people question you and from for for Guardiola clearly that's been well you haven't won the uh, the European Cup without you know Messi and Iniesta and etc Xavi um and then there's a sort of a reinvention you haven't won it without De Bruyne <laughs> we have <laughs> without Phil Foden it's like a it's like a Tom Cruise movie isn't it most like great manager at arcs you like you have you have the success, you have something which um, uh, afflicts your confidence, takes it all away, you know, your, your kind of goose dying moment. And then you come back a little bit better with a few sort of adaptive mm. behaviours which make you overall a, a sort of a, a, a better coach. And, and then, then you graduate to Zargon 5. And what's that? What, what is Zargon 5? I don't know. It's some, it was a, I can't remember the specific name for the different levels of Scientology, so I just said Zargon. Okay, okay. I didn't want to go into like, I mean, I, I've just kind of, I've just separated myself from um, Jose Mourinho's online army. And that, if anything, is a little bit weirder than Scientology. So if okay. we can kind of have a few weeks without that kind of thing, that would be most welcome. Sure, let's keep it clean. On you go. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, yes, it would be good for him to win a European Cup. <laughs> oh, thanks, Seb. That's really good. I wasn't sure. Um, all right, let's do PSG then, because there's stuff to say about the PSG. Uh, referee, though, first, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, had a pretty good game. Uh, PSG's players didn't think so, though, did they, uh, JJ? Uh, no, but they were, I thought they were at it from the first whistle. Yeah. They were trying to win free kicks they were never going to get and fallen over. And this is something I noticed of both games uh, this week, was that the referee wasn't falling for any shenanigans in, in both games. So you, yeah. there's often that thing where a footballer turns his back on a player, waits for him to get within a few centimetres and falls over to, to buy a free kick. And uh, they quickly realised that they weren't getting away with that and they didn't like it. And then, I mean, after the game, you had uh, Andrew Herrera talking to RMC Sports saying, we talk about respect with referees. The referee tonight said, fuck off to Leandro Paredes. If we say that, we get a three or four match ban. They do that all the time. <laughs> Every game. <laughs> yeah, all this the time. a wonderful thing about, about uh, no crowd that you can literally hear them doing it over <laughs> and over again. I was surprised at the beginning of the year when I started to watch these games with no crowd sound, listening to the way that the players and the managers were talking and thinking, really thinking more than ever before, it would suck to be a referee. I could literally, I think I've said on this podcast, I could not deal with the way that football players talk to a referee if I was the referee. I'd be red carding people left, right and centre just for minor acts of lack of respect, you know? Uh, I think So I think that's a, it's a bit of a a bit of a sour grapes comment. I do like Ander Herrera. I think, he's a, I think he's a good player and I like his attitude. But uh, this is a strange thing, isn't it, Seb? Yeah, it is. And it also, I feel like it's one of those instances in which when players say this, they don't really think about how they're going to come across because um, I've heard this so many times before. It's amazing how many times in like a, you know, losing situation, a player is able to, um, to find a situation where he's got a grievance with a referee. And you, you talked about like what you can hear with no crowds, but there's no artificial crowd noise on German TV. And the language is incredible. And not only the sound of it, but how it's delivered so you get players screaming obscenities in referees faces or linesmen's faces like including words that we can't use on the podcast because youtube shouts at us if we do that but it's it's such hypocrisy it's ridiculous 
I, I also think in their minds they'll be thinking about the way that they'll be treated as a result of that. Even if the if the the truth came out that somebody was red carded for swearing aggressively at um at an official. I do think, you know, half the fans who watched that game, or certainly the fans of the, the team of the, the, the suspended player, would all think that that was absurd, that, that that the referees couldn't, you know, couldn't take it or that they um, were overreacting or, you know what I mean? Yeah, but do you remember that incident with Darren Drysdale and Alan Judge in the um, Ipswich-Northampton no. game when, when, like, Darren Drysdale's a referee in the Football League and he squared up to a player who'd been, like, abusing him. And no. Darren Drysdale's about, like, eight foot six and Alan Judge is well very much not um and it's a great image because it's just a referee that's been pushed a little bit too far and yeah. there was a transcript of all the things that came out and you can look it up I won't, I won't repeat it on the pod but if anyone wants to google it you just think fair enough <laughs> well what, what if in which case you think about that you know that the, the people who, who sort of explode like that or as you describe have finally had enough it's because they've been trying to hold stuff in, right? What if we just take this example here, exactly what Under Herrera said, and we make that a rule, right? Where the referees get to say whatever they want. I'm sure Leandro Paredes probably deserved it. He was probably doing something <laughs> that, uh, you who, know... Who hasn't wanted to tell Marco Verratti to fuck off at some point? So, I mean, fair well, enough. That's what I mean. So, like, what if you're the referee and someone comes up to you and they go, oh, that's a yellow card, and you go, ah, fuck off. It's not piss I'm, off, I'm back off I'm absolutely fine there. with that from referees. It'd be great. Like, It'd be yeah, really fun, and it would there'd be some more drama involved, wouldn't there, JJ? Well, absolutely. Um, I sometimes play Sunday League really badly, uh, and when at this level of Sunday League, if there is no there's no linesman basically, so often the yeah. substitutes have to run the line. And what I thought was interesting that one time that I ran the line was the left back on my own team screamed like <laughs> horrible things at me because I correctly didn't call someone offside. I was like, I'm out. Oh. This is not for me. Do you so still play for the same Sunday game? League team, JJ? Uh, um, very rarely. Very yeah. rarely. Yeah. Yeah. Not I want to know how, how you felt afterwards, after it finished, though. Was there any, was there any animosity between you and this, uh, this person? No, because it's never a thing with football, is that you can scream at someone and like, hate them for 90 minutes. As soon as the whistle goes, like, everything ends. And yeah. Yeah. it's very odd that that does exist. Like, it's just a battle for 90 minutes, as long as you're within that. Um, some people don't seem to quite understand that and then they do I mean there's some weird things I've seen at 11 aside people getting sent off and refusing to leave and mm. so they're walking around the pitch and the referee's trying to cancel the game and stuff it, yeah right. I'm sure everyone has weird stories I feel like that almost happened in this game didn't it uh, because of course Mara scored the second goal on 64 minutes and from that point onwards it felt a bit as though PSG's players kind of gave up and really started uh diving into those tackles. I'm looking through my notes to try and remember who it was that was red carded. Uh, of course, it was Di Maria for, st- for stamping on the player, uh, Fernandinho, off the pitch. And I th- may- maybe trying to make it look a little bit like a slide, a slip and slide. Uh, and then uh, being enraged at the referee and taking quite a while to leave the pitch. Um, it, everything sort of descended into... Uh, near chaos didn't it It had the feeling of a game that was about to fall off the edge but never quite did yeah i also really enjoyed how di maria sort of tackles them like a spider coming out of a small hole that sort of noise (laughs) take that what are you doing what was it you were saying about the the camera angle of pochettino with that yeah so jj and i were talking about this before we started recording and um i found a i i went to watch some highlights just to um to brush up this morning and uh there's a, an angle of it which shows Di Maria stamping on Fernandinho 
Fernandinho kind of poetically falling onto that mound of snow. Mm-hmm. And you can just see Pochettino in the background kind of shrugging his shoulders in a kind of, oh, for fuck's sake, <laughs> gesture. <laughs> there was no VAR review needed for that. It was, uh, it was well, he just did, perfect. He sat down to, because he was extremely uh, active throughout the game on the touchline. I wrote a note um, about the pace of the game because the first half, certainly the first half of the first half was very, very fast. PSG were, you know, straight out of the gates. It took Manchester City a little while to catch up, actually. And, you know, it felt like PSG were throwing the the, the kitchen sink uh, around 35 minutes. There's Pochettino on the sidelines egging them on, you know, saying, let's go even faster. And as soon as this happened, he just sat down and put his head in his hands and you didn't see him again. Uh, and, it, you know, it felt like he gave up too. Yeah, he's he's like that, though. He he kind of... Um, actually, the, the first ever game I covered from a press box was, um, was a Tottenham game that he was managing. And he's a, he's a great... Um, he's a great technical area chunterer. Like he does just pace and swear and like hurl Spanish into the ether um, for much of the game. Uh, and when you see him sit down like that, it is kind of resignation. Um, but he does always seem, even if his team are like two or three goals up, he does always seem really, really unhappy or antagonizable or whatever he's watching on the field. Um, and he's always kind of badgering the players near to him. So like it would always be a, like a, a Christian Eriksen or a Kyle Walker or Danny Rose or someone. Um but he, um, I felt sorry for him because it, it was yeah. just, a, it was a tantrum. We talked a little bit on the WhatsApp about this and it was just sort of, I can't decide whether PSG's reaction is just a, um, the result of a group of players not being used to that level of tension uh, or not getting their way. It feels a little bit trite though and cliche to sort of, you know, reference that, you know, oh, you know, the French league isn't that competitive. Um is this year but um it just feels like a little bit of a tired excuse and and, in in this instance it just seems to be more about the players involved like Di Maria's got that in his locker you know um and the Herrera is no shrinking violet of course um Paredes is a little bit nuggety I mean I don't know it was it was it wasn't it wasn't very blaze of glory was it it was just a tantrum (laughs) nuggety Yeah, a bit nuggety. He was a bit sort of rough around the edges and he's a bit abrasive to play against. I thought it was a little bit like, um, almost as if they were blaming like, oh, the computers against me. So, I might, you know, so if you're playing online, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the game's against me, I might, I might as well just get sent off, take that other person I'm playing online. I mean, it doesn't apply to Rocket League, Joe, sadly, but I think Pro Evo, I've definitely done this, where you just get the game abandoned because it's much more fun than losing 6-0. I used to do that on Sensible Soccer. That was used to be the most fun thing to do back in the day. You get five players sent off, and then the game was game was abandoned. And it was very easy to get a red card in Sensible Soccer. I think uh, you, you guys may remember. Just slide into anyone from any angle other than the front, and uh, straight red card. You used to be able to slide over about fifteen yards as well. It was amazing. You could it was slide a great, great you ran. game. Sensible if soccer. you slid uh, and got back up and slid, you would move faster than running, uh, which. Uh, Little little tip there for anyone playing sensible soccer. If you were trying to score a header, your only option was to kind of like throw your player at the ball from about yes. twenty yards away. Yes. In a kind of sort of um, diving forward position. Yeah. There was a on one of the, the old FIFA's. I think it was FIFA ninety eight. I think it was something like that. There was the a best button. FIFA Road to the World Cup. That's the best. Uh, one. I think it was that one. It might not. I might be wrong, but I think it was the end one there. There was a button that was um, just for like hard tackle, basically like deliberate foul, and it was <laughs> yeah, amazing. I, yeah. I had it set as Q. In my, I still remember this. I was so young at the time. 
But then what you could do is go into a training game and you could have 11v1 and then you could have 11 players just going like hard tackle again and again and this one poor guy. <laughs> oh no. Sadistic, JJ. Yeah. It's like the equivalent of taking away part of the, the track on Roller Coaster Tycoon so that I have a more recent experience of that. I've been playing uh, the game Jurassic Park Evolution. I don't think I've mentioned this on here before. Hey. Yeah. No, sorry. It, it was just roller coaster tycoon. So, um, oh, I see. You've interrupted me to say something you could have said a bit later. Is that it? No, this is really interesting, and it will. Oh, okay. It will change part of your childhood. It better learning. be really good now, Seb. It's really good. Okay, so one of the the first PC games I ever played was Theme Park, which is kind of basically an early version of Roller Coaster Tycoon, and um, one of the interesting um, bits of it was that you could manipulate your park so that by making your, your chips really, really salty, you would force your customers to go and buy a Diet Coke immediately and make more revenue. And this was kind of, for about 20 years, this was a thing that you associated with Theme Park. I was talking about Theme Park on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and somebody tagged themselves into the conversation who had worked as a programmer on the original theme park and he said that is an absolute lie it's an urban myth i couldn't no. believe it yeah couldn't That's... believe it oh anyway back to you joe uh-huh mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. okay really worth the interruption salty chips not salty chips is, uh, can you so feed the dinosaurs salty chips on Jurassic park evolution I'm not going to tell my story anymore as a punishment to Seb. How about that, How about that Seb? You've been punished with your, with your I shall learn from this. boring learn from story this. that wasn't that boring and was actually kind of cool and it was better than mine and now I can't tell mine. You're just, just going to sulk for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> it's going to get us sent off. Mbappe didn't play due to a calf injury, of course. Injury to a small cow, you know? Uh, not that, actually, to his leg. Uh, but we did see him in the first leg. <clears throat> it's an unfortunate miss for PSG. Of course it was. Of course it was. He's a fantastic player. But would it really have been that different with him there, Seb? I don't think the situation suited PSG. I don't think if they if they'd gone to Manchester City with a lead, then you put Mbappe into a into that scenario, then it would have been very much like the Bayern Munich game where they defended brilliantly, counter attacked brilliantly, yeah. deservedly won the game. I don't know. Like it. it it felt a little bit pointless as soon as he didn't come on at half time, or you just knew he just yeah. wasn't fit enough to be there, so it became a little bit of a moot point. Also, like he did play in the first leg. I appreciate he is a, he's one of the world's best players. I'm not saying that he's not, but he did literally play against this team in the first leg and didn't do a great deal and was managed pretty well by Manchester City. Is there any reason to suspect that that would have been different in, in this game? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I I feel like. I feel like the kind of the sum of the PSG attributes is not irrelevant, but kind of secondary to what we saw about the way that they managed themselves in those games. And Mbappe's got a little bit of that to him. He's, I mean, he's um, he's a wonderful player, but he's no angel on the pitch, um, which I kind of like in a player. I don't, I don't want a sort of you know a Corinthian always, um, but he's, I don't know. Like I, I, I could have seen him getting embroiled in what happened. I put it that way, and I don't, I don't think him alone. In that kind of game against that sort of opposition, I don't think one player is enough to make a difference. Um, well, un- with that unlike kind of Icardi, deficit to who overturn. didn't get embroiled in anything that happened, and yeah. who I frequently forgot was on the pitch. There we go. What does uh, Mauricio Pochettino need to do then to make this PSG team better? You know, is it transfers? Is it is it a different system or, or team selection, JJ? 
um, the predictable answer is that it's going to be a mixture of all of it, really, isn't it? But he, mm. when you when you look at that team, the way it's built, I mean, you have Neymar and Bappy and Di Maria as their front three, so that's not giving you an awful lot of defensive cover. If you want to press high, you're not you can't really do it with those, I would say. So then his midfield trio is Paredes, Gay, and Verratti. Uh, you could chuck someone like Herrera in, and they're all they're all ball winners, um, more defensively minded. So it's a little bit like how, almost like how Liverpool are built at the moment, where you have three forwards who do a lot of the the creative work and running, and then three people behind them to protect the defence and to win the ball back to get forward to them. So that sort of setup would make them best, I would say, in transition, because you can win the ball and then use the yeah. pace of Mbappe to stretch the defence, which gives you, you space. you need amazing for, fullbacks, right? Well, yeah, you need them to come in. And I, I don't know how good... PSGs really are and, and um, what we've seen with Pochettino we can really I would say base it mostly on what Spurs played and that was that kind of 4-2-3-1 where they would have people always said it was a high press but I think a lot of it was done like a mid-block and they would make it really hard for people to get past them there and then they would just be able to exploit it and they had someone like Harry Kane who could win a game on his own so I would imagine they'd look for someone who could uh, someone who can move the ball better in midfield so, um, type of player I'm thinking off the top of my head, like Tony Cruz, but like you know, not the one right now. Someone a bit yeah. younger who can play the ball. I mean, you say Verratti, maybe be that kind of player, but Leon Goretzka. It just hasn't worked for whatever hey, reason. Adrian Rabio. Rabio, who? Rabio is the the one. Like I feel like Rabio is mismanaged by PSG. Uh, maybe but again, he's not. I don't know. I don't, Maybe he is. Maybe maybe you know more about Rabiot than I do, but I, I don't know if he's the, the solution to it. I feel that like they're, they're just maybe... It's that, that, that thing where you have a team maybe is... If Neymar is their best player, are they actually better without him? That classic bit. I mean, you have to put Neymar in because he's such a good player. But they're not... They, they were very much a group of individuals, and then individuals tend to need a bit of creative freedom to be able to produce. But when you're playing against a team like Man City, who are very clearly a team with very talented individual parts... I think the the team tends to win that every single time because they're more solid defensively and PSG couldn't offer anything. Icardi was... I think Mbappe would have made a big difference. Just being able to stretch the defence, get in behind, offer more of a threat and keep City pushed back a little bit. But uh, yeah, they're going to need something. I guess it's by Pochettino gets paid lots of money. Icardi got a two from L'Equipe. That's just brutal. That's just brutal. <laughs> Poor old Icardi. Anyway, that'll do for now. Uh, we'll be back in a moment to talk about a Chelsea and a Real Madrid. Okay, uh, Chelsea 2, brackets 3. Uh, 1, brackets 1, nil. Sorry, dash, one, brackets 1, nil. Real Madrid. You get the point. Tight performance from Chelsea defensively. Lots of missed opportunities going forward. So ultimately, it doesn't, doesn't matter in the end. Um, because Real Madrid offered essentially nothing. It felt like the least good attacking performance I've seen from them in a really long time. We'll come to that. But first, Seb, was Frank Lampard really that bad? <laughs> we were talking about this last night, and no, that's probably a bit harsh, because I, I think he's had a, a, a very important role in the evolution of some of those individual players. Get him. But, Kick him while he's down. Well, this is the thing, because you'd expect Thomas Tuchel to, whatever his Chelsea vision is, you'd expect it to be fully realised within about a year, 18 months. It's been, what, four and so there seems to be like a virtue, at least to, to players like Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, in Frank Lampard just not being there. 
which is quite damning. Yeah. I feel like yeah. that's it's Harvard's especially. I I know that there are caveats because he he contracted COVID and he wasn't fit and he didn't really have a a, a full preseason. These are all um, mitigating circumstances, but the um, the climb in his form since Tuchel arrived has been pretty dramatic. I mean, the climb in everyone's form is, is dramatic. I mean, they're on incredible run. They don't lose games. They suddenly defend. I mean, it felt like they had all the requisite parts there already. I think, not as I said, not not wanting to be unfair to Frank Lampard, but not a huge amount has actually changed. Yet the results are exceptionally good, and we're now looking at a squad that I remember at the beginning of the season. Not to make it about me or anything, or say I was right, but I remember at the beginning of the season uh, we did these uh, these sort of league uh, table predictions, and I put Chelsea um, in second, I think, because I because on the basis of the transfers that they'd made, but also on the basis of the squad that they that they had at the time, they they look like they should be performing as they are now, and they just seem to perform so under par. For such a long time, and the you know the kind of excuse at the beginning is that well, it's a you know a new manager. We need to give the manager time to bed in or whatever. Thomas Ducal comes and they go on like a what seventeen game unbeaten run or something off the off the bat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing though. I mean, I, did they defend that well on Wednesday night, or did Real Madrid offer very little beyond the Benzema header and that turn and hit that Edouard Mendy saved? It's I mean, a trick I, of the next situation, though, isn't it? Because it is a little... Can, no, absolutely. That, that the positive defending resulted in a lack of opportunities for Madrid. I mean, Madrid weren't great, but one of the reasons that they had very few chances were because there weren't many uh, defensive mistakes, and they defended extremely well higher up the pitch. Right, JJ? Tell me I'm yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were right. It's, it it's odd, because they only have two midf- central midfielders that Kante... I mean, Kante is essentially counts for about seven players on his own, and Jorginho... But what I noticed most about Chelsea is that see I don't I don't they don't to me they don't feel like they're that good yet they are I know this is really bad analysis but they must be so hard to play against because they don't give up the ball ever they win it back really quickly whenever you attack them there are it seems to be they seem to have more players um, to your number of players every single part of the pitch you go to so in defence they always have at least five maybe seven defending. So there's no real gaps. It's all quite compact. When they go forward, there are so many runners. There's so much energy going into it, and they're really intense in the way they they uh, they win, they they press and win it back. Also, they're quite aggressive off the ball in, in the way they they tackle it. They get really tight instantly, so you can't get away from them. And they dig in, they put in tackles, but it's all it's all fair. There's no dirtiness to it, but it makes it really hard for the opposition to play. So when you've got, I mean, Real Madrid, I thought, suffered from a huge lack of pace. There's just no pace, no um, strength or power in that team whatsoever. And they can pass the ball and they've got some skill. Players like Vinicius could do certain bits and pieces, but they don't have that dynamism that Chelsea seemed to. And that's the sort of thing, I mean, what Lampard put in that Chelsea team was a team who attacked when... Uh, lots of different lots of different rotations of positions, really quick to, to go and it would be chaotic. So you couldn't really predict which players would be going where. Tuchel seems to have made it very specific what players have to do within their roles, but making them do it really intensely. And it, it's made them really good. Yeah, they are really good, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but they look good. They are. One of the things that struck me, though, was that Quite a few times, even in the first half when the game was still really in the balance and it 
you know, hadn't but just become chaotic. When um, Real just seemed like athletically incapable of keeping up with Chelsea. You saw like straight line runs from deep, which just weren't being tracked, and kind of numerical mismatches that were kind of created out really like kind of rudimental situations. It was really strange because it was it was as if like. Real just refused to learn the same lesson despite being exposed to the same problems again and again and again. I mean, how many times in... By the end of the game, it was probably about seven or eight breakaways, which were probably three on three, four on four, something like that. And it yeah, just it seemed was as bizarre, if... wasn't it? There wasn't enough energy in the Real, the Real team to deal with that. Um, no, because it can't there were be breakaways that were four on four that became four on three when one of yeah. the four Real players just didn't carry on was, running. <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe that's partly um, a reason... Maybe that's partly... Um, you know, the result of having a midfield base of players who are both in their 30s. And that's fine. But you presumably prepare for these things. If you're lining up against a side, which is uh, Mount, Harvards, Werner, just those three yeah. players by themselves, you're thinking, well, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to watch myself in transition. You add Kante in that, who's always oh, going man. to be a little bit box to boxy. Um, just picked the ball off them in the worst places over and over strange. again. I mean, it was so exceptional to watch, wasn't it? I love that man. It's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. I love Kante. I think even an example of this game would be he would be perfect for Real Madrid right now. It's exactly yeah. what yeah. they need in their midfield and their energy, yeah. And the, and the way this, that Zidane set that system up, it's like a like a three-five-two, but Hazard dropping deeper. It's almost a three-diamond three, you know, in a way, in certain parts of the game they're playing. It was very much suited to them playing almost in transition, but they don't have the speed or, like Seb's saying, the athleticism to really play that way. So the whole thing didn't work and Chelsea had them. Can can we say that Kante is one of the best players ever in the Premier League? We can, can't we? I think that's fair. I think that's like, fair. Uh, would yeah. it, can we put him in the top 10? I suppose it depends what you emphasise. Depends what just you best. like. Is just best. No, because there, there was always going to be a bias towards goal scorers and attacking players, isn't there? Well, no, no, um, but it, it's it's just us doing it. It's not we're not asking. Just us doing else. it as kind of yeah. the most influential players ever. Yeah. Well, no, no, yeah, just fair. the best players ever. That's the, that was the category. Okay. Would you? <laughs> okay. Well, then you you kind of have to compare him with players in his position. So how would you compare him with a? No, 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 you don't. Just no, the best you do. players <laughs> ever of the Premier League. But you can have any player you want. I still think I take Patrick Vieira. But you could have both of them. But that midfield doesn't really make as much sense. I don't mean. Also, I don't I've mean got, a team. I don't mean the best eleven. I just mean the best ten players. Stop special. changing the rules. Stop I changing the rules. You, you're just adding new bits. You're just making rules. up stuff no, to complicate them. No. <laughs> hey, shush up. Shush up. Shush up. A word on Kai Havertz, please. But we started to see him flourish. Haven't we? We've started. We have. We have started to see him flourish, haven't we? Uh, JJ, go. I thought in, on uh, Tuesday's podcast we said that he's not peaked yet, but he may peak soon. He's it's coming, but not yet. It's too oh, early. Yeah, we talked about this, didn't we? Yeah. We already talked about it. Yeah. But he is. I mean, he seems like a nice boy, a lovely player, <laughs> a solid all-round, a solid all-round boy. <laughs> Of that all the boys. A solid boy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, a word on Edouard Mendy, uh, por favor, because he made a couple of huge saves. And for a keeper who's had, you know, a, a, a tiny, tiny rocking of a rocking chair start, 
uh, coming into you know replace a very very expensive number one has to prove himself very quickly strange circumstances you could say this must have been a huge moment for him champions league semi-final to perform like that uh you know match winning and you might you might say seb match changing definitely this save from benzema where he's initially his view is obscured by benzema shoots around the center half and just he makes a really good save at, at full stretch it looked like he started diving before he saw the ball yeah, but then I would say, okay, if that goes wrong and Benzema whips it in the other corner, then that's a problem. But then you just put it down to good goalkeeping, good anticipation, yeah. good positioning. If he doesn't, he probably doesn't reach it because it was heading right for the bottom corner. And that changes the game because if, if, if Real score then, then none of the weaknesses that we've discussed, like none of the things about you know their lack of pace, all of that stuff becomes less relevant because yeah. then they can just sit in a low block and you know control the game potentially. Well, there we go. That was Chelsea. Uh, the final will be Chelsea-Manchester uh, City. A repeat of the FA Cup final. I would say not the most exciting final. I was kind of hoping for a, a, an overseas team in there to spice things up a little bit. It doesn't feel hugely Champions League finally, does it? But there's also a chance, you know, if Arsenal go through as well, it'll be all four English teams in the two finals. And um, what do you make of that, Seb? I was actually on mute having a little conversation with my wife about something. Sorry, you have to go to JJ for that. <laughs> No, that's fine. That was the best kind of response I could hope for. Let's talk about Real Madrid now. Um, troubling squad dynamics, aren't they? Hmm. Any of the younger players, developing players, destined to fill those holes? Because, you know, Vinicius Jr., for example, very changeable. The impact subs that came on last night, including Asensio, made no impact. You felt actually what they needed, um, as well as Kante, obviously, was a Pulisic-type character who, you know, Chelsea brought off the bench and was amazing and sort of made that... Um, that uh, second goal along, alongside Kante. But there doesn't seem to be anybody on Madrid's bench at the moment that could bring in that kind of certainty in performance. And also, discussing starters too, there is, of course, the uh, the Hazard the situation. Hazard didn't have a fantastic game. He disappeared a little bit into it. It was a, was a late substitute off onto the bench. And, uh, and also was pictured smiling after the game, uh, which angered people so much that there seemed to be a whole show dedicated to this <laughs> or at least the intro of a show i don't know what it was some spanish football show where they did an extremely dramatic opening uh with all thunder and lightning and a man with um uh too dramatic of pauses uh i found the uh the translation of that by the way for anyone who did, had seen the video what was said was hazard at the end of the game is unacceptable we are angry we don't understand him he cannot stay at Real Madrid for another second. Uh, so troubling squad dynamics. For another second. For another second. So he has to be what P forty five today, like just. Well, I think the in, moment that the man says that just has yeah. to yeah trap door opens up beneath him and he has to go back to <laughs> Chelsea. Like it's just so yeah. childish. It, it, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Um, no impact on the game though, of course. Uh, where did Real Madrid go from here, JJ? It looks like they need uh, something of a, a rebuild. I, I think the teams that are have done very well... I mean, Real Madrid aren't bad team. They're in the semi-final of the Champions League, to make that clear. So they're not, sure. they're not particularly bad. But they are ageing, and they're going to have to replace these big stars. There's all the noise about them bringing in someone like uh, Erling Haaland to be their striker. Benzema's still great. He's scoring... Heaps and heaps of goals. He's a brilliant player. Yeah, he's not one of the problems. No, not not at all. I think what they need is a bit more um, energy. They need more energy, probably in the midfield, yeah. and to become and just to have more um, athleticism to them, more more speed, more strength, more power. They seem a bit flabby. Yes, and I think Zidane's had to 
had to adapt his tactics all season long to try and make up for shortcomings in his team. When you look at still Marcelo still plays, he's a little bit older than maybe you'd want him to be. Um you've got Ramos who is what's he, thirty five? Six, thirty five, yeah. something like that. And could leave at the end of the season. Yeah, and you've got like so Casemiro's twenty nine, Modric thirty five, thirty six, Kroos is thirty one. You've got players like, so the, the young group coming through would be people like Fede Valverde, um, Rodrigo, who's still developing, um, Vinicius Jr. I mean, Asensio wasn't long ago we're talking about is one of the best young players in the world, but he's 25. Yeah. He's obviously suffered yeah. quite bad injuries, but he's still a good player. Eder Militao, you'd think, I think he was, being, he was decent in the two semifinals, 23, so he's coming through. It's going to be, I mean, they don't have any money. This is the problem. So, like, they have none, and they're going to find a way to get some somehow, but it's going to be, like, these... They're going to build a theme park. And make the chips really salty, and that's that's yeah. what they're going to do. The new, <laughs> the new Burnabout is going to have like, chips that make your tongue start to decay while you eat them. <laughs> and the only solution is uh, Real Madrid juice, which costs £7 for a 250ml bottle. Real Madrid juice. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Anyway, screw them. They're out now. Uh, let's discuss before we move on. Um, Mount, Mason Mount, uh, England. Discuss. That's what you've written there, Seb. You've said there's a lot of Frank Lampard about him, you've said, which is hardly surprising. Uh, but the attacking positions he takes up are, are pretty similar. And then I've written, as if to try and do the sort of YouTube clickbait version of what you've written, I've written Mount Foden Grealish. Yeah, different types of players, but it feels a little bit like Skulls Lampard Gerrard to me. Which one, JJ, honestly, which one excites you more of those two talking points? Which one do you prefer? Oh, uh, I'm going to... Uh, I, I JJ, like them both. JJ. I like them both, Joe. No, and... no. <laughs> JJ, you stand firm. Stand firm. Yeah. Don't let well, him bully you at this early point because if you, if you, if you allow it, <laughs> it will only continue. Just lying in the sand, JJ. In which case, I will just bad. talk over you both. Mount Foden Grealish, <laughs> very exciting to me. I want them all in the team. Is there a way you could do that, JJ? Could you get them all in the team? I think there is. So you play Foden where he's playing for a city at the moment, which would be probably wide left. If you're playing that 4-3-3 that Southgate has been playing recently, you play, or 4-3-3-1, you can play Foden wide left or wide right. I think you play him wide left um, for now. And then you can play Mount as one of the, the two eights, which he's good at. And it means he can join in as a 10 when he wants to. And you could play Grealish as an eight as well if you're going really attacking against a bad team, like it's maybe against Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it'd be very, very attacking. And then you need someone to anchor that, which is going to be Rice, and you leave them all alone. If you're playing like Man City, like Man City, you could probably play Mount and Grealish because the team would be so well structured that they'd be able to adapt to any uh, turnovers and they can transition to the defensive pretty yeah. quickly and it, it would work. But I think at international level, it's going to be very difficult. You could play Grealish one wing, maybe on the left, and you have Foden and other on the right, and that would be the way you get them all in as one. But it's. Then you lose Sancho or, or uh, Rashford or whoever else might play on the right, right? Well, it depends. I think, so, I mean, for international football, I think the team who's most defensively sound tends to win. And that tends to be... The, what you, so yeah. if you put too many attacking players in, you, you don't. I mean, England did so well in that World Cup because they were really good at corners. So <laughs> yeah. if you get loads of tall lads in, that might be the, the way you win. And then you put someone like James Ward-Prowse in just because you can hit a set piece like that. 
which is another mm. person you need to think about for these sorts of things. Okay. But Foden has to Except play regardless. you in now, what do you think? About Mason Mount? Yeah, really about your talking point. I like my talking point. I thought it was worthy. I thought it was valuable to the pod discussion. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I... So if, if I gave you one minute, what would you like to say about it? Well, I, I really... I That's like the end Mason. of the podcast. It's been fantastic <laughs> to have uh, JJ here again. Thank you, JJ. We'll speak to you next week. Seb, uh, lovely to see you as always. Real yes. pleasure. And thanks to uh, producer Ollie, who's as valiantly stepped in for uh, uh, producer Adonis while he's off uh, raising Adonis. a baby. That's uh, reproducer Adonis, as one as one a very wry commenter wrote uh, on, uh, on the YouTube video. That was a, a good comment, wasn't it? Um, we will be back on ch- uh, Tuesday next week with more reviewing the weekend. Um, I haven't told either of you this yet, but I have to pack because I'm moving house. So I'm going to ask one of you to st- stand in my place. So I won't be here for that episode. Uh, but uh, it'll be a three-way, including Alex Stewart, who will have returned, which is very, very exciting, isn't it? Um, okay. Uh, thanks to you for downloading this episode. Remember that you can get the athletic. That's a good thing. And uh, farewell to all the T-Pos. We'll be back next week. Au revoir. The Athletic.